Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. So good to see all of you here today. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we are going to turn in our Bibles today, or you can read along with us on the screen, to the book of Revelation. We're going to continue. I, I, I don't know how long, but I just knew this week uh, that the, I had a peace in my heart that we would look at Smyrna. And so we're at Revelation chapter 2 beginning in verse 8, and this is God's letter to his church at Smyrna. Think about this week, I hope you will. We call it Holy Week, we call it the Week of the Passion, we call it a lot of things. Today is Palm Sunday, this is the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem and they did cry Hosanna, but that was more of a political statement than anything and, and they wanted somebody to take charge. They wanted a, a Christian in the White House, so to speak, which that would be great, but they were looking for uh, uh, someone to rescue them from the Romans, and Jesus had come to rescue them from themselves and their sinfulness. That was on Sunday. On Monday, he would cleanse the temple, and on Tuesday of this week, you can just think about it, he'll go over to the Mount of Olives and sit down with his disciples, and he will speak with them about some things, some final things that he wants them to know. We call it the Olivet Discourse. We're not sure what he did on Wednesday. We know on Thursday he would wash the disciples' feet, and we know that on Friday he was crucified. And we know that on Sunday he rose again to live forever. So I hope you will be here uh, Friday night as we take communion together and as we celebrate together uh, our God coming and being willing to die for our sinfulness. And then Sunday morning, we'll be back here for Resurrection Sunday and hope you can be here. Well, look at what God says to the church at Smyrna this morning. The word Smyrna is a word that means bitter. We get it from the word for myrrh, some of the spices that were brought as a gift to Jesus. This is an old, old city. It's gone by some different names, but it was actually founded 3,000 years ago, and it goes by the name of Itzmir now, but it's still there under a different name. As a matter of fact, it is the only city of the seven churches that still exists today. Uh, it was destroyed in 600 B.C., but Alexander the Great would come along and he would rebuild the city again. And even though it was a city that had endured, it was pagan to the core. This would be the first city to have a shrine to Dia Roma. That is the Roman Empire seen as a god. And they actually had a shrine where they worshipped the Roman Empire uh, there at the Dia Roma. Polycarp is a famous preacher who pastored this church. He was one of them at least. Uh, he was killed in February uh, on the 23rd in the year 155. But if you know much about church history, you know that he was a very faithful Martyr, And I would say this today, if I could just ask God to do one thing for us in this whole sermon today, it would be God give us the heart of a martyr. Help us to understand what it was like to be able to stand up and say, I will not deny my Lord, I will not compromise my faith even if it cost 
me my life. So I, that's what I would ask of the Lord today. Let's read together. And to the angel, in verse 8, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, the first and the last, the protos and the eschatos, we get our word eschatology from the word for last, but I am the first and the last. Who was dead? This is Jesus Christ. He said, no, I was dead. Some today want to say, well, they thought he was dead, and that's how the whole resurrection thing got got to going. Uh, No, he said, no, I was dead. And has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy, I know the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan himself. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. I had an opportunity many years ago to do a research project that took me to Israel. And one of the little cities that I got to visit was Bet Shean or Bet Shean. It's the house of Shean. And while I was there, I I took a picture. I was at one of the smaller Roman Colosseums where the wild beasts were turned loose on Christians. And I backed up into one of these uh, uh, areas that it's all stone walls, but what you are, are seeing on the screen is I'm inside where the beast would be. And there would be a cage door that they would open and they would release the beast. And he would come out of this place where I am sitting taking the photo. And he would run out into the arena and he would be looking for something to attack. The crowd would just be so rambunctious his nerves would already be on edge and the Romans around there love to sit in the seats and watch these wild beasts tear Christians from limb to limb. I've wondered many a time, could I have stayed out there? Could I have stood out there and looked up to heaven and said, God, release the beast? Could I have, had, had, could I have been like some that we know of who who told the Romans, release the beast and maybe they be upon me. And if they don't uh, 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 rush me, I shall rush them. And may they uh, eat every bite of me. Ignatius said, uh, let them eat every bite of me, he said, so they can be a sepulcher to this dead body. Wow. When you're daring lions and wild beasts, I mean, it's just at another level. And it's something for us, it, it seems like it's just so far away. It just seems like, wow, boy, those days are gone. I can tell you they have been gone for us here in America, but they seem to be making a comeback. There's more persecution, and I, let me just say this. The church, the church at Smyrna and these other churches, it's hardly 60 years old. These churches that John is writing to in the Revelation, they're about 60 years old at the most, and by now both the state and the religions around them have determined that the way of Christ is far too narrow to be compatible with a progressive society. There's just too many things that, like sin, and, and too many things that, that, that are 
not in accordance to the what God's Word has to say. They just held too closely to the, the leading of the Spirit of God. They just seemed too narrow-minded to be part of a progressive society. And it wasn't just the state church of the Romans, but it was also the Jews. So they were attacked from religious groups, and they were attacked from governmental groups. They were attacked from every side. And I'll tell you what they did. They sought no common ground. But as God saved them by His blood, they glorified Him with theirs. They said, we'll die. We'll die if that's what it means. Christianity was not a legal religion now. The Jews had taken care of that the Jews still were considered a legal religion and would have been exempt from once a year saying Caesar is God and burning the ceremonial incense to him to recognize that whatever your faith might be, that you would burn this incense and that you do recognize that Caesar is God. What you do in your own time is up to you, but... No, just make sure you understand who the real God in this empire is. These Christians refused to do that. Polycarp would be burned alive because of this. He said, I will not do it. I will not burn incense to any God uh, of this world. There's only one. In 86 years I have followed Him and I will not desert Him now. And they burned him alive because he resisted the state religion. If you read about Polycarp, the pastor, one of the pastors here in the very church at Smyrna, they talked about him all over Asia. They called him the teacher of Asia. That's a great title to have. They always called Jesus a teacher. They never called him a preacher. Uh, sometimes people tell me, you know, Mike, you're less of a preacher and more of a teacher. I, 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 I take uh, honoring that. Don't apologize for feeling that way because that's exactly what we ought to be. We ought to be teaching the Word of God when we preach. We can get loud. We can get fast. We can be funny. We can do a lot of things. But when you leave here today, you ought to know some things that maybe you didn't know before. He said, Polycarp, he was the teacher of Asia. They called him the father of the Christians. They even called him the puller down of our gods. What a name. He's the puller down of our gods. He's the one that says our gods are idle. They have eyes, but they don't see ears. They don't hear hands, but they can do nothing to help. He mocks them, and he teaches many, they said, not to sacrifice to them or to worship them. Well, Smyrna is in the furnace, friend. This will be one of two churches of the seven that God will not reprimand. But He is going to give them an ominous message. He's going to tell them that suffering is not predicted. It is promised. And it is coming. And you need to get ready for it. So let's take a look at the passage today. In Christ addressed in his revelation to the church, his church at Smyrna. He first of all talks about their adversity. Their adversity. Number one, he says that it comes about through persecution. And, and this is not verbal persecution he's talking about. This is not somebody not liking you anymore on Facebook because you said you were a Christian or you stood for the truth in some area. No, this is real life, losing your life, being beaten to death or, or fed to wild beasts. But I'd say a couple of other things about it from the passage. One, it is legitimate persecution. And what I mean by that is if in verse 10 you read, Do not fear for what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. Parazzo is a word for test. It's a, one of the words that we use to get the word temptation. 
Uh, and then he calls it tribulation. He says, you're going to endure tribulation for 10 days. Stylipsis is the word for tribulation. And, and it, it means just crushing, crushing, painful heartache and, 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 and physical pain to a, a level that, that we could hardly imagine. And, and because it comes about in the singular, in the Greek, it is emphasized as being very, very severe. But what do we mean by it is legit? He says, well, it's to test you. You're not suffering because you've misbehaved. You're being tested because you stood up and said, I will stand for God no matter what. I want to read a passage, 1 Peter chapter 4, just quickly. Starting in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Peter's writing late in the New Testament. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But he warns them, verse 15, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. He says, don't call it suffering for God if you broke the law and you got a, you get a speeding ticket. Uh, boy. That, that, that would seem small to this stuff. But, but don't say, oh, I'm just being persecuted for the cause of Christ. No, you're being persecuted because you drive too fast, okay? And if you get caught running your mouth and, and you get embarrassed because you said something you should not have said, he says, don't call that suffering for Christ. Don't suffer as a thief or a murderer or as a troublesome meddler or busybody. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, He's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in His name. That's legitimate, legitimate suffering. It was a legitimate suffering. His, they're also speaking about what they were going through, this, this, this adversity, this persecution. It's not only persecution and and, and legitimate persecution, it's limited persecution. Verse 10 says, then you will have tribulation for 10 days. We're not sure what he means by that, except that we know there will be an end to it. It might, it could, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say for sure either way. But it could come from the book of Daniel, where Daniel said, let us eat the diet that we want to eat for 10 days and then look at us and see if we don't look just as healthy as those who eat what the king says that we are supposed to eat. He was a follower of God in a country that cared nothing about God and he was trying to, to stand up for what was right and so he did it for 10 days. Maybe that's it. But here is the point that we cannot miss. The point that's so important is, is it won't always be this way. The day will come when it will end. I want to tell you, boy, being a pastor sometimes, you get in some, you, you, you talk to some hurting people. Yeah, and, 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 and yeah, I've been through a, a few things myself. In recent years, as as you know and can tell, probably, but I, I, I can just tell you, I, I sit down with people sometimes, and and I just weep with them. I, I I quit giving out those pat answers years ago. You know that Sunday school answer. Well, you know, just trust in the Lord. If He leads you to it, He leads you through it. Man, I want to tell you something. If I hear that one more time, I think I'm I might just choke somebody. I'm telling you, sometimes the only thing you can tell people 
that makes any sense to you and hopefully it will later make sense to them is that the day will come when it will not be this way. That's all I know to tell you, Dave. He lost his daughter to COVID. I've seen that man cry and shake and and, and, and I've seen him go through all kinds of things. There are others of you, you've lost husbands. Some of you have lost sons. W.D. and Terry, all I can tell you is, that the best thing I can tell you is it all, it want, the day will come when it will not always feel like it does now. God says, I will put a limit to it. It will happen and it is for sure. But God says, I will limit this. And man, I am here to tell you, I'll be glad when what goes on in this world is over and done with forever. I'm tired of sitting with people when the doctor says it's in the fourth stage and really there's no reason for treatment. We prayed for a woman this morning in my office who has already refused chemo for this round. She knows her days are limited and there's no need of going through any of that. I went and visited my friend Dennis Bell this week, a healthy man other than the fact that he broke his neck a few weeks ago and he's paralyzed. I hope he walks, but I don't know that he ever will. Now, he'll tell you quickly that if I do or don't, I'm a born-again believer, and it's going to be okay either way. And I pray that with him, and then I go, God, please let him walk. Please let him walk. Can't tell you how many times he and I have gone down through the woods deer hunting and done all kinds of crazy things together. He told me the other day, he said, well, I got this motorized chair. It's got two spotlights on the front. He says, you get on the back with the rifle and tell me which way to go. He said, and we'll go hunt deer. Oh, yeah. I laughed. And I cried with him the other day. Man, all I know is one day, folks, it won't be like this anymore. They had adversity. Yes, persecution. They had adversity also through poverty. In verse 9, it it says, he says, I know your poverty. In the Greek, there are two words for poverty. Men, we talked about them Wednesday night in our Wednesday men's meeting. But one word for poverty means that you have very, very little. You're near to being destitute. And then there is another word for poverty, tokos. And that word means no You are at the place where you have nothing. You're not near there. You don't have anything. I've never seen this level of poverty in America. I've seen it in some third world countries. But this is where you have absolutely nothing. And they are suffering from poverty. In part because of the stand that they have taken for Jesus Christ. But this is what I think is so cool about it. They are undergoing poverty. But if you compare what God says to them to what he will later say to the church at Laodicea. He says, at Laodicea, you say you are rich, but I say you are poor. But to Smyrna, he says, you feel like you're poor, but he says, because you have what really matters, I tell you, you are rich. You're rich. Man, let me just tell you, we can... We can let things like riches get between us and God. Let me make sure you understand this. There's no need to win the lottery to start putting other things before God. You can just have distractions. You can be rich in distractions. You can have all kinds of relationships and all kinds of different activities that you love. And I've I got some in my life, of course, but 
you can get to the place that if God's blessed you with good health, oh, preacher, we would love to be there more, but you know these kids that God gave us that don't have any diseases that were born to us healthy, and he's protected all of this time. We would love to go worship him for that, but they play ball, and, well, we got to be there. That's a distraction in your life. And when it begins to take you away from God. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus gave this invitation one day for people to come and follow him. And it says the people that heard him at once began to make an excuse. One of them said, well, I'd come. How many times have I heard that? I'd have been there. But he said, I bought a parcel of ground. He didn't say that I inherited a ranch in Texas. He said, no, I just bought a piece of land. Another one said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen. And another one said, well, I've married a wife. Now, these aren't things that make you a lot of money. These are things that sometimes can cost you a lot of money. I mean the first two, honey. These people didn't strike all. What they had in their life were busy things. Little things that need to be taken care of. Hey, these are the people that would tell you in a heartbeat, oh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be there more, but I, I you know, whew, schedules nowadays, man. So many things going on in life and I can tell you, you, you can become rich in distractions. God's blessed you and your family with so much health and some extra money on which you may not even tithe till you got to at least go to the coast once a month and spend a little bit of it. You got to use those new golf clubs. My goodness, you paid $2,500 for them. Told you why, 15 but you need to go use them things. I guaranteed you would shoot under par. You need to go ahead and let that disappoint you. I'm just saying to you, you can have so many blessings that God has given us, but instead of coming to His house and thanking Him for it, you can just let it take you totally away from Him and keep you so occupied that you just live, die, and go to hell without it. A lot of people are going to do that. You know, when it comes to Jesus' economy, he asks two questions. In Mark chapter 8, he says, For what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world? No one's going to do that. But he said, what, how much better off would you be if you gained the whole world and lost your soul? And then he asked a second question, for what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You didn't realize it, but you were spending your soul. You were trading your soul. You didn't, you just thought you were maybe working some extra hours or, or you just thought that you found something you really enjoyed to do with your time or you just thought it would be good for the kids. You never realized that what you were giving away when you gave those things yourself, you were giving them your very soul. It's like thinking you have $100 in your wallet only to discover, oh, that's right, I already spent that. How sad it would be one day to realize and know that you forfeited your soul so you could bury yourself in all the things you enjoy. And with God, you might tip Him occasionally. Come when you can. Oh, man, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Adversity. Then he gets personal. He talks about their adversaries. We'll look at these quickly. He said, their adversaries, your adversaries, Smyrna, the ones that are fighting against you, one of, first of all, their method is deception because they say that they are Jews, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Now, this didn't make the Jews very happy, I promise you. Because the Jews believed they were a gathering of the people of God. 
And a sunago gay, the word we get synagogue from, means to lead together. And they would come together. And, and synagogue started when if you just had ten male Jews that came together to study the Torah, then that was considered a synagogue. But I don't know. They must have had some Baptists with them because they had to build buildings and call them synagogues. And then they designed them. And then they put seats and furniture in specific places. And they made it out to be a ritual. But when they met, they said, we are the leading together of the people of God. But God said, no. Got the wrong name on that door. He says, you are of the synagogue of Satan. Of Satan. Man. Hey, several times in here that... We say one thing, Jesus says another. We, we still do it today. We come to Jesus with a whole bunch of, I, well, now, I, I tell you, I think. Now, I heard Preacher Mike today. Boy, he was, he was topping cotton today up there. And I know he means well, but, 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 but I, I, I tell you how I see it. How you see it. Let, let's, let's don't even do that to you. Let's do it to me. Take how I see it. And five bucks and get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks with an idol on the cup. I'll preach about her one day. But I'm just saying to you, what I, how I see it doesn't matter. You thought how you see it didn't matter. Let me just tell you, how I see it doesn't matter. What God has said is the only thing in the end that's ever going to matter. Look at these churches here. They say they're Jews. God says, no, I say they're devils. Ephesus says, well, I think we're doing pretty good as a church. God says, but I know your works. And Thyatira, they said, well, we got a woman in our church who's a leader. And, and God said, no, she's not. She's a Jezebel. And she's leading all right. He says she's leading people astray. Laodicea says we are rich. But God said to them, you are poor. And he says at the church at Sardis, when we get to them, he says you have a name that you are alive. But I say you are dead. Your church is dead. It's dead. Man. He clears up this deception. Their methods of deception, their minds are depraved. In verse 10, he calls them Satan. Then he brings up the devil. In verse 10, behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison. Oh, I know. They, they, they feel like they're Jews and they're just obeying the laws of the land. And they've got a religion that's more compliant. And, and they've learned how to get along with pagans. And they just feel so blooming good about themselves that they don't really ever cause a stir. And they buddy up with the Romans. And, and they become your enemies, church, he says. I can tell you they can do all of that because their minds are depraved. And here you are, my people, the people of God, and they are going to give you confinement and death. When you went to prison in this day, you didn't go there to serve time. You either went there and you would be released so you could go somewhere and work under hard labor the rest of your life. Or either they would take you out of there and execute you. They didn't have these sentences, you know, where you get like 180 years and you got to serve seven of them. And you got out in three because of good behavior. No. They didn't bother with that. He says, they're going to kill some of you. Because they're going to put you in jail. You know, man. Our enemies have depraved minds, friend. I, I, I don't mind telling you, I, I, I'm, I, I, take, I take our enemies more seriously than ever. There are people who see me, you know, uh, and it ain't about me, but I, they see me preach. And then they see me out other places, and I, and I, I, 
I just tell you, I, I, I don't know what will happen. I, I think things now, I think about possibilities now that I've never thought about in my life. And, and I will tell you this, I'm a total different man when I have my wife with me or I have my grandchildren with me. Because I know if you attack me and you take me out, then you can do whatever you want to with them. So, boy, one thing I keep with me is the Word of God and something else. And you jump me at the gas pumps and we can get into whichever one you want. (laughs) I'm just telling you, this world, their minds are depraved. Last week, a young lady, I'd have given anything in the world if I could have told her about Jesus. I don't know if she had accepted it or not. Maybe she had already heard it, but she was sick of it. She walked into a school and killed six innocent people. And the news media outlets, some of them said they framed it that this marginalized group that she is a part of, this is proof that they're under attack. I'm like, she just killed six people. How is it you can twist it to where it looks like Christians are still the enemies and that we are the ones doing the attacking? I'll tell you how you can think that way. It's when your mind becomes depraved. God calls it blasphemy. Cast some of you into prison. Their methods, deceptions, minds are depraved. He says their master is the devil. Verse 9, those who say they are Jews but are not are of the synagogue of Satan. And I'll just cover this quickly, but Satan is a word that in the, it comes from a Hebrew word, Satan. In the New Testament, we translate a word, devil, uh, that's the word diabolos. Diabolos might help us a little bit better because dia means a cross, like diagonal, and balos means to throw, it means to throw a cross. It's like when you've got a plan together and you're trying to do something for God, and here comes this big hindrance right across the path. Something you never even saw. You, you just, boy, there it was. He likes to throw a wrench into gears. He likes to throw something across. Might be an accusation or, or some way if he can hinder you. He is a saboteur. And I can tell you, buddy, just because they were called Jews... God says, I can tell you, they are of the devil. And I'll say this and move on. But I have to admit to you, the meanest people that I've ever met in the world, I met at church. That's pretty sad. If I could introduce you to some folks that I used to hang out with, it would may really shock you. But I, I can just tell you, sometimes people that... That they don't even realize that they are being used by Satan. The devil is throwing them across people's paths, keeping pastors awake at night, worrying folks about insignificant, foolish things, complaining about things when they ought to be praising God. You can do all of those things and Satan be just using you to needle and, and just tear people apart. And you might not even, might not even realize it. Oh, church, <laughs> if you're weak in the area of emotions, I can tell you this, you, you, you can find, boy, you can find things here at church. You, maybe, and boy, I've seen, it, I've seen it for 40-something years. Maybe you were someone, you never got that managerial position at work. You thought you deserved it. Well, you, of course, you knew you did. You were smarter than the rest of them, been there longer and all of that. You just knew you ought to got that job. You didn't get it at work. And they don't play like church. They just said no. But boy, church. You come to church and you get a job and you get a little bit of authority. And 
they put you in charge of something, and man, the next thing you know, man, that means more to you than anything in the world. I remember a church I pastored one time, a guy stood up and shook his fist at the church and said, I was director of Sunday school here. That's when we had Sunday school and we had directors of Sunday school. Maybe he was called the Sunday school superintendent. I'm not sure if he had two stripes or one on his arm. But that's how he felt. I was over the Sunday school department and he shook his fist and he said, and these deacons have taken that away from me. Ooh. I had just gone to that church. That was about my second Sunday there. I was thinking, wow, I love this. This is going to be good. (laughs) Man. Ah. People that don't get to express themselves other places. You know, what you know better than to say to a highway patrolman, you say to people at church because we'll let you do it. And there are very few consequences of it. I will say this. Henpecked husbands are the worst. Really? When you don't get to say much at home and you come to church, you can be a thorn in the side. I know I'm getting off subject a little bit. I've met some men. I wanted to go to their wives and say, look, let him drive at least one day a week. Do something with him. Because he and I are about to get a divorce. Oh, yeah. Adversity, their adversaries. Last of all, they had an advocate. And, of course, that's God. Three quick things. He says, I am attentive. He said, I know your tribulation. And I know your poverty. What a great blessing to know that whatever you're going through right now, he says, I know. I know. Man, that even feels good from a human being. Really. When you feel like your life is just about to crumble and somebody puts their arms around you and hugs you and and just whispers in your ear, I know, I know, I know. I know your heart is breaking. This week I spent some time with a mother that's going through one of the most difficult things that a mother could face. I don't know if death is worse of a child. Doesn't know what to do. Falling apart. But I just had to look at her and say, I know. I know, I may not know how you feel. I, I, I don't ever like telling people that because I don't really know how they feel. They may process something. I went through the same thing maybe, but they may process it totally differently. But if you just go to somebody and say, look, I know you're hurting. Your little body is just shaking. She could barely put words together, but I was able to pray with her and comfort her and just the fact that somebody was willing to listen. You know, they say that listening and loving is not the same thing, but it's hard to tell the difference. But what about when God says, I know? I know. People have asked me before, where was God when I lost my son? Same place he was when he lost his. And he can look at you and say, I know. I hadn't forgot about you. Well, he's attentive. Secondly, he's alive. In verse 8, the first and the last, who was dead... And has come to life, says this. (laughs) I was dead and I'm alive. He's seen it all. He has actually died. I've never met one person on this earth that could say, now let me tell you what it'll be like when you die. I'm not sure I can handle that. 
I certainly don't want it to happen over at McMahon's. Nobody can tell you that, but Jesus can. Jesus said, no, I've been there. And I love what Paul says about him. He says he is the first fruits of those who have been raised from the dead, who will die and live again. First fruits. If you've got first fruits, that means you must have what? Some more coming, right? And that's me. And that's you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the first one that rose from the dead. But there's going to be more. And man, that is some awesome news. I can just tell you. It was wonderful to hear my brother Dennis's uh, testimony this week when he told me. He said, I came so close. So close. He said, I, I, I had run out of oxygen, and I, and I knew that I was dying. My face was buried in the dirt. I, he was paralyzed from the neck down. Couldn't move anything. Couldn't get his head from the blood that was puddling in front of his face. He said, I knew that I was dying. But he says, I knew that it was all right. Man, I want to tell you. You can't get that with money. I don't care. Don't care how much of it you have. He's attentive. He's alive. Last of all, he is able. In verse 11, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. I love how the Greek words that. In English, you get points off for double negatives. But in the Greek, they would use them. And I guess you would say they were legal or they were legitimate. But when they really wanted to emphasize something, and if you read this verse in the Greek, you would say that he who overcomes will not be hurt. It's will no not be hurt. Now, you turn that in at high school, and Coach Cox will mark off for it. But when the Greeks wanted to really emphasize that those of you who know the Lord, you may take your last breath on this earth. I'd say most of us will if the Lord tarries his coming. All of us will if he waits long enough. But the second death... Where in the book of Revelation chapter 20, he says, I took hell, the grave, Hades is the word there. I took death and hell, and I threw them into the lake of fire. And they're gone. They're gone. Man. As I close today, also in chapter 20, he says, not only in verse 14 did I throw death and hell in the lake of fire. In verse 15, he says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was also thrown into the lake of fire. That's pretty serious business, friend. Pretty serious business. You know, I, I thought this this week, I'm faking a mountain of sound booth back there, sorry. But I thought this week about something. These people being in prison. I, I have ministered in prisons before and I'm fascinated. I watch a lot of documentaries on people who are in prison. It's hard for me to understand how they just get by from day to day but we have now out in Colorado a prison where we put people that have proven that they can't live among other human beings it's sad but we have those they put them in prisons they kill prisoners the reason they got in prison was they kill people then they kill people who were prisoners And then some of them escape. So guess what? El Chapo, one of them, he's in a place where he cannot get out. 
You say, well, I don't know. Supermax, he won't ever get out. They control his life completely. And I, I thought about this. I see people that I think you're in prison. Maybe not in one with an iron door, but maybe one that's more secure than that because there's so many things that I keep hearing people say that they'd love to do for the Lord, but they're imprisoned by a lack of time and priorities are out of sorts and they got so many things they want to want to do their ankle bracelet will go off if they start showing up for everything it, it, it is like they they're in prison I, we've actually had people who were in prison tell me before because we have all kinds of folks who come here and I'm glad we do but we've had folks to say I'll be back in two weeks because that's when I I, I, I get uh, parole There are people not sitting in these green chairs this morning. You know why? They're in jail. Oh, not the kind with bars on the windows. The kind that says, you don't have time. Got other things to do. You won't be able to give. We're going to take an offering in a little bit. See, Satan's already got a levy against your money. You're going to need that, right? to do all those things that you want to go do this next week other than serve God. So you you won't be able to give all. You might throw a couple of bucks in there in a little bit, but we have to understand, don't we? If you could just help us to see that you got a lot going on in your life. You're in jails where you are. You're in prison. You got a mortgage that's got a thumb on you. You own so many toys, you need to have a yard sale probably. You're in prison. You quit owning your fancy car, didn't you? It owns you now, don't it? I see fancy cars sometimes and I think, I wonder who belongs to that. Oh, yeah. It'd be a terrible thing. Let me just say this as I close. I am going. This all might sound crazy to you. Last night, I was sitting on the couch. Nikki and the grandbabies are here. So good to see them. You know, they live in a foreign country called Raleigh or Durham or somewhere. I don't know. I don't care. Don't correct me. They're here. They were all watching something on television. I had my headphones on. And I was working on my sermon. And I was playing some music in the background. And a song came on. Travis Cottrell's Just As I Am. I quit studying and just started worshiping. And I had these big old tears running down my face. And, and then I got to singing with it. Now, that's what's really bad. Do you remember when people used to go to the Christian bookstore and they'd put the headphones on and you'd be in there buying a book and you'd hear somebody over there going, they were singing with what they were hearing but nobody could hear what they were hearing but them and it sounded like a whale caught in a barbed wire fence somebody really should have gone over and said we can all hear you and it sounds terrible well I was even doing that but Nikki was sitting on the couch beside me she laid her head over on me she knew, man, daddy's having a moment. See, I was hearing some things they weren't hearing. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, these people that go out and die for their faith, some religion, that's crazy. All that getting upset that that pastor does up there, that's just 
weird to me. I know. But I'm hearing from someone maybe you don't hear from. When Polycarp told him, you won't need to tie my hands, I'll stand in the flames. And you can burn me alive, but I will not. I will not declare anyone's God but my Lord and Savior. You may think that is ridiculous, but I want to tell you something. Polycarp knew somebody that maybe you don't know. If you don't know him. Oh. I beg you. Just think, at least be curious as to why did he put you here today? We preached the gospel today and you're here. How did that happen? He made it happen. And he wanted you to hear it. Because he loves you. And he wants to be your savior. Yeah. Hallelujah, brother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Man, he wants to be your Savior. You can leave here today knowing that if you don't even make it home today, you'll already be at home. How about that? One that you didn't have to pay for. One that he paid for with his blood. Really? Man. Maybe you're one of those lost henpecked husbands. You can quit getting on our nerves. How about that? If you promise, we'll baptize you for free. Actually, we will anyway. Man, let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. I'm not going to just pray a prayer and have you repeat it. No, because it's it's not going to really matter how you word it. If you look at everyone that got saved in the New Testament, everyone who trusted Christ as his or her Savior, never did two of them say the same thing. There's always different words. There's always different words. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh, I was blind, but now I see. Maybe right now, in your own words, in your own way, you would love to just say, Lord, I want to trust you right now as my Savior. I want to give my heart and life to you. I want you. I want you, God, to forgive me of my sinfulness. I don't deserve it. I'm throwing a lot of things out you can say. You can say them all. Because they're all true. Maybe you just like to look at him and say, God, I don't even know what to say. I barely understood 10% of that sermon today. Never heard of Smyrna. But what I did understand today was that you love me. You want to be my Savior. And if you want to be my Savior, I want you to be. I don't want to die and go to hell, God. I don't want to die lost. I don't want to live lost anymore. I'm I'm ready to get out of this prison. One project after another. One career after another. One marriage after another. One relationship after another. Maybe you're tired of all of that. Maybe you'd like to give your heart to Him. Tell Him that right now. Just tell him. Lord, I come to you right now and I pray for some soul that may be sitting in these pews right now, in these chairs right now, and they are in the fight of their lives. All of heaven and hell has come, has come to bear and has faced off in that green chair right there where they're sitting right now. Satan has lied to them. Religious people that are of the synagogue of Satan, God, has misled them. Demeaned them. God, you love them. 
Satan tells them they can't be saved. They can't change. Lord, I pray you would help them to understand they can on their own, but you can transform their life right now. I pray you'd help them, God. And help us to be the kind of church that will disciple them, come alongside them and love them and care for them, God. I pray you would help us. Give us, Lord, a martyr's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.